Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 2nd of March, 2022. Happy Hump Day. Happy Wednesday to you. We're halfway to the weekend, if you will. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate it. It's a special edition of the program where we're going to uh, play with the timeline. That's right. This is uh, the first thing you're going to hear is reaction to the State of the Union address, which I thought was just terrible. My God. So reaction to the State of the Union address from me and Brian Darling. And then it'll be a regular show that was recorded before the State of the Union address because I couldn't, there wasn't time to do the whole thing after the State of the Union address and edit it all together. So there you go. We'll get it more into specifics on tomorrow's show about the State of the Union with some audio. No audio this time. It's just got awful, boring speech. Nothing new. So we'll get into that as quickly as possible, as a matter of fact. Just tell you about Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast, where you go sign up, support the show, get extra special shows, get uh, entered in the contests and everything like that. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. Thank you in advance, and thank you retroactively to everybody who is supporting the show over there. Okay, now let's let's do this. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by Brian Darling, President of Liberty Government Affairs, frequent guest on this program, an all-around good dude, who uh, volunteered to suffer through the State of the Union address so we could talk about it. Um, Brian, first of all, did you? How did you? What did you use to avoid sticking your neck with like a sharp object? I, I used uh, heavy sedatives and alcohol. <laughs> I almost fell asleep a couple of times. It was pretty boring. Was it not the most boring? It, 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 it's in, it's not boring. The word is for it. It's expected. It is expected. It was an expected speech. There was nothing unique about it. There was nothing new about it. There was nothing magnanimous about it. It was, it was all the speeches we've watched this senile SOB deliver over the past year. Where it's just, uh, oh, those evil Republicans, they want to do this, they want to do that, tax cuts for the rich. For... It, was there anything in there that we hadn't heard come out of this guy's mouth in one form or another in the past year? No, and it just struck me as if it was just a bunch of staffers wrote him a speech. You know, all these different staffers from different corners of the administration, and they just kind of slapped it together. Because there was no unifying theme in the speech, there was no... Met overall message it was just it was just kind of a it seemed like it was crafted by a number of different staffers who gave you know here's what i want you to talk about and somebody just cut and pasted it and airdropped everything in together with no no coherence at all it just it was it was not a good obviously it's just not a good speech it of course nancy pelosi loved it they were sitting there maskless i i think we could have Done without seeing the full Pelosi, but um, there was she. She has a weird way of looking at people. She is. They always the left always made fun of of Nancy Reagan. You remember the way Nancy Reagan was ridiculed by the left because of when when Ronnie was speaking, she'd stare at Ronnie as if you know it was divine divinity coming out of him or whatever. That's kind of how Nancy Pelosi sat there the whole time. It's quite a contrast to the last State of the Union when that gutter snipe tore up the speech because she well she was a partisan hack is it not 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I expected her to open up some of her very expensive ice cream and just start eating it there. Um, <laughs> and she, she just looked distracted. She kept saying things to Kamala Harris, and she did. That was weird. Times where they would do standing ovations, she'd lean on her like, "Oh, that's good," or "Hey, we've got to do something about this, that, or the other thing." And then, it, did you notice at the end where he goes, "Go get, go get him." Yeah, like, like who, go get who? What the hell was he talking about there? <laughs> like, it, there's no. Is there somebody? Is is he? You know, do the meds that he's on? Maybe do they make him see things? Is he the kid from the Sixth Sense? Like, I couldn't understand what in the hell he was talking about there. Yeah, like, I mean, some... it didn't make any sense. Yeah, the end. That really jumped out at me when he started said that. It's obviously it was not in the teleprompter. or Something that just popped into his head. He thought it would be cool to say, but. It didn't make any sense, as, <laughs> as does most of the time when he goes off the teleprompter. You know, isn't that the thing about Joe Biden? Though he it, it, look, it was nothing we hadn't heard before, but it was delivered in such a, a I've, I found it to be a, a jarring kind of way. He talked. He stepped on his own applause lines. He powered through the speech. It was like halfway through. Suddenly the caffeine or the cocaine or whatever the hell it was kicked in. And suddenly he started really picking up the pace and he was out there, blah, blah, blah. Now he wasn't, he was still being relatively incoherent and rambling and getting things wrong, but he had no patience for applause line. Presidents generally will milk it, you know, like, oh, it's a half an hour speech, but realistically it's an hour and 15 minutes because one party or the other is constantly, you know, clapping like they just, you know, tipped in a a fifty foot putt to win the Masters. Joe didn't seem to have any time for anything like that. He was just like, "Look, I gotta go." Matlock ain't wait, waits for no one. Mur- Murder she wrote isn't going to end or whatever. I'm past my bedtime. I've got twenty minutes left before this medicine runs out, and I'm going to turn back into a pumpkin or something. Or was it just me because I'm hypercritical and I don't like the guy? No, I. I, I it was like. When you get that book in school and you read it as fast as you can just to get it over with, you don't really take much of it in, but you you feel like you did it because you got to the end of it, even though you didn't absorb any of it. But he just went really fast. Like he just seemed like he wanted to get it over with, check all the boxes and do what he needed to do. But, you know, again, this is one of those weird situations where I think the media will say, oh, he did a good job because he got through the speech. He didn't fall asleep. You know, and he made some points like he did make the points that he wanted to make. So he checked all the boxes, but he was not compelling at all. He didn't have any real energy. I mean, he spoke fast, but that wasn't that didn't come across as energetic and, you know, excited about his agenda. And he didn't really deliver anything today that was new. It was all regurgitated BS, like a lot of the stuff about, oh, you know, I'm going to solve inflation at some point. And, oh, I cut the 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 deficit by a trillion dollars, which is all, you know, just <laughs> gaslighting. I love that. I love Hey, uh, uh, let's spend 20 trillion dollars. What? No way. We're going to spend 19 trillion dollars. All right. There you go. I just cut the deficit by a trillion dollars. Congratulations to me. There was. Uh, if you had a hundred bucks walking down the street, Brian, and you did a man on the street interview and you said, quote me anything from Joe Biden's state of the union address. 
you know, it, it, you get points for being close. It, it doesn't have to be an exact quote, but you've got to give me a sentence or two. You think anybody was there anything in there that stuck out? You know, I know you're not a liberal Democrat, but was there anything in there where you just go, look, this is going to ring from the mountaintops. This is going to like I guess the closest thing I can come up with is <laughs> curiously said like it was a, a a bit of bravery. Let's end the opioid crisis like. Oh, hey, uh, no shit, Sherlock. Let's end the opioid crisis. There's an idea. Like, that was like an applause. Like, that was that was the opening salvo and the strategy, apparently, that he has for getting for ending the opioid crisis. So just go, let's end the opioid crisis. Like, what the hell is the, the I don't think there's anything that will be remembered from this. Not even any of the guests up in the the uh the gallery like oh hey here's a kid with diabetes i don't know what the kid with diabetes did i just know there was a kid with diabetes he may be a he's probably a perfectly lovely human being but uh i don't remember anything about him other than that i i do think that there'll be one memorable thing but it has nothing really to do with what he said in the speech i think that jill biden hugging the ambassador from Ukraine, kind of a good moment. I mean, everybody wanted to hear what he had to say about Ukraine, at least, and, and what we were going to do about it. And again, you know, he was just kind of spiking the football, saying, look at all the great things we've done. Well, obviously, we need to do a lot more. I mean, <laughs> I don't think anybody thinks, oh, we've done enough, check the box, we're done. But, you know, that was the moment, but it wasn't him speaking. It was Jill Biden hugging uh, an ambassador. You know, it had absolutely nothing to do with the speech. I honestly, I don't know what the uh, I, I, what the marching orders are. He spent a lot. It, is it weird to you? You've been around Washington D.C. for a while now, um, not directly involved in confirmation hearings for Supreme Court justices, but involved in confirmation hearings for other judges, and have witnessed many Supreme Court justices go go uh, up before this the nominating. Have you ever seen a a non-event like the nomination uh, uh, that happened on Friday, can Jody Brown Jackson or whatever her name is, I think um, it, it I, I've never seen one just kind of go, there you go. There she is. It's a foregone conclusion. And unless she's got like a series of uh, secret Twitter accounts where she's spewing some ridiculous hate mongering or something, she's going to get on the Supreme court it's not going to change the balance of the Supreme Court in any way, shape, or form. It's like a non-event, even though it's quote-unquote historic. And Joe seems to want to draw attention to it and credit get credit for it because he nominated a black woman, which is the antithesis of Martin Luther King's dream speech, by the way. But overall, given everything that's going on in the world, as well as the fact that uh, it's a foregone conclusion, it seems like almost a non-event to me. It's really bizarre. Or am I alone in thinking this? No, it was horrible. Again, horribly handled. If you're a Democrat and if you're a big supporter of Joe Biden, you would want him to have a splash. You wouldn't want him to dump it the nomination on a Friday in the middle of uh, the Ukraine crisis, which is obliterating all other news. You know, you would want to have a rollout. You would want to actually have press paying attention because it is a big deal. I mean, we only have nine Supreme Court nominees and every single one has been a big deal. But this one, 
it just again, you know, it's this administration. They're just not good at politics somehow. I don't know. You know, the the poll numbers are in the toilet and they keep botching things. And, and it's it's a never ending string of screwing up. And, you know, I did see one com uh, one one comment on Twitter that I found interesting that this speech was more like a, a speech from a president who's popular, you know, just kind of saying, look at all the great things I've done. And I'll promise to do a couple more things, but I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You know, he's talking about the economy as if it's great when it's not. He's talking about inflation, even though it's, it's huge Achilles heel. <laughs> I love the <laughs> idea that it is a speech by a president who's popular when he's really not. Yeah. Um, that, I think, is really how Joe Biden sort of conducts himself. My, uh, oh shit, my computer is, appears to have frozen. Anyway, I, I don't even know if you can hear me. I can anymore, Brian. But well, let's see. I'm just going to assume we're still recording, and I'll just say, well. So ultimately, is there anything going to come from this? Anything matter? Anything at all? No. I mean, <laughs> you think back to some of the striking moments in um, State of the Unions of the past. I mean, Donald Trump he had a big moment with Rush Limbaugh before he passed away, which was yeah, it was a great moment. You look back, you know, you think about Thousand Points of Light, George H.W. Bush. You think about the speech that George W. Bush gave after 9-11. I mean, there's some great moments. There's no great moments from tonight. I mean, he had an opportunity with Ukraine. And, you know, he, he said some things that were important and helpful, but ultimately nothing that stands out. There's no big moment there where he said, you know, we stand with you and you just don't worry. More aid's coming. We're going to do everything we can to help you. You know, there was no big standing ovation moment for him that unified both parties because it would have been easy for him to, to say something striking out there, you know, something important that got everybody on their feet. And he just couldn't deliver. He won't even target Russia's oil and gas industry, which is responsible for 40 percent of their economy. They've explicitly carved that out. And I think the American people know that. And they say, OK, yeah, we're on board with Putin is evil. Are you because you're not you're the one not taking this seriously. I get the president's trying to send this sell this in earnestness, uh, but he's he's not doing a very good job of it when he's not taking it seriously, when his administration is not taking it seriously. I just I think that this is a, an entirely forgettable speech. You can see why Joe Biden is in the mid 30s in approval rating. He doesn't seem to believe in anything. He does, he'll talk what we've got to unite as a country, even with those horrible racist monsters who oppose everything good. And like, whoa, why the hell would anybody we're supposed to rally around the flag with a guy who won't stop calling everybody who doesn't agree with him on everything? You know, Hitler, I just I, I don't I don't get it. I, I, I don't want to get it. I'd feel sorry for myself and I'd be worried for my mental health if I did get it. It's just, uh, I don't know, the, the State of the Union addresses are generally inconsequential. But uh, lastly, Brian, just, I kind of find it funny that uh, Joe Biden's schedule this week involved obviously prepping for this, going to Delaware over the weekend. And then he's finally having a cabinet meeting, not tomorrow, but Thursday. Thursday, finally Thursday, he's going to get around to having a cabinet meeting because 
tomorrow or today when you hear this, he's traveling to Wisconsin to sell his infrastructure bill, which is already law, which means that the president is going to put the international crisis and potential for World War III on hold so he can go and basically pat himself on the back for a piece of legislation most people don't give a damn about. Um, and then he'll come back and be president. I, yeah. I, I don't get it. You bring up something something that I found funny. So he said that the United States is 13th in the world in infrastructure mm-hmm. and then started to talk about the bill that they passed. What? How many months ago was that? So it's just your average American looks and says, wait a second, didn't you spend over a trillion dollars on that exact plan? Well, and also, what the hell does it mean to be 13th in infrastructure? How how 13th in infrastructure? What do they go count potholes? What do they do? 13th in infra- how do you determine that? It's, it's ridiculous. But it's like he's saying, you know, we, we basically suck at infrastructure, but we did pass a bill and now we're working on it, even though it was passed months ago. It just it didn't make any sense. Like, why would you even say that? It just the whole speech was like that. It was a bunch of just things, just like a stream of consciousness where he just kind of wanders from issue to issue, basically throwing out a few facts and some points, but with no no reason, no coherence, no point. No, it really did seem like uh, this, this speech was passed around to various departments. And as their section of the speech came in, oh, we'll just slap it in in that order. And they didn't go, maybe we should try and put it in a specific order. Just like, ah, to hell with it. Legos are color-coded, but these are all the same bricks. So just different, just slap them together. Who cares? They're all locked together. I got lunch to get to or something. I just, I was surprised. I didn't expect much. Obviously, I was never going to like the speech unless he resigned and, you know, got rid of Kamala and, and, Pelosi and Schumer beforehand, but I was surprised at how disinterested I was. There was stuff that was annoying. There was, but it was it was boring. It was a non. It was a nothing burger. It was nothing I'd heard before, or nothing I hadn't heard before. And uh, I was shocked because it's not very often that this guy, in particular, is in front of cameras. And uh, you know, rarely is he in front of cameras unfiltered through the press. And he, he, this is his chance to, for his handlers to say, we can make our case to the American people and we don't have to take a damn single question afterwards. And this was the best they came up with. I, uh, it kind of tells you something about where they're coming from. Final thoughts, Brian. You know, my final thoughts are, are that this speech kind of sucked. You know, it really wasn't that great. And, um, you know, when you when we look back at it, maybe in a few months, I think this is going to be one of those things where when we get to the midterms, people are going to look back and say, look at the 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 mid the midterms will be a defeat for for Biden. I mean, we know that he's going to lose maybe 50 seats in the House, uh, likely to lose a Senate. And so the the going into next year, 2023, it's going to be the House and Senate will be run by Republicans, most likely. And people look back to the State of the Union and say there's a huge missed opportunity. Basically, this was his chance to right the ship of state, you know, be very strong in Ukraine and basically pivot to some other issues that are that he has a chance of actually doing something on, you know, try and find some common ground on a few issues and and at least work, reach across the aisle with some Republicans and and try and, you know, save his presidency because he had that opportunity and he blew it. I mean, the speech 
had no no point, no transitions from one issue to another. He just blurts out, hey, raise the minimum wage to $15. I mean, that that encapsulate what the speech was. It was just a bunch of just random thoughts strung together that had no point and will not help him this coming November. So in other words, it's the Biden administration. <clears throat> Brian Darling, President of Liberty Government Affairs. Thanks for uh, putting yourself through that. I, I thought it would suck, but I didn't realize it would be that boring. So sorry about that. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you. All right, there you go. That was the reaction. Now we'll get to the pre-action, the show before the show. Looking forward to that, what you just heard, if that makes any sense for, for you. Confused? You won't be after this episode of Soap. But uh, I want to start today with some stuff about Ukraine. Not There's not good news out of Ukraine. I can tell you, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm a jerk, maybe I'm wildly insensitive, and all of those things I have been accused of, and mm, probably accurately so in certain occasions. But I just, uh, maybe I'm obsessing on the wrong things, but as you watch cable news, like, oh, that's a breaking news, a news alert, and they're like, oh, something happened? Like, No, it's just the same old things that they've been talking about all day. They use that breaking news sounder to get you to pay attention. And uh, they really shouldn't want you to pay attention because most of the stuff they say is wildly old and not news, just opinion. But that's just me. Anyway, um, we've got uh, the convoy. It's apparently a 40-mile-long convoy inching its way towards Kiev. And it's Kiev. I'm sorry. It's not Kiev. It's Kiev. My whole life it's been Kiev. I'm not changing now. And it's spelled Kiev. I don't know who decided it's Kiev, but uh, I imagine it's some jackass who just like to say, will anybody buy this? Will anybody? Buy-? Let's just say, let's just pretend that it's Kiev. Oh, all right. And then the whole world went along with it, or most of the media went along with it. Uh, I refuse. I've drawn a line in the sand. I will not call it Kiev. It is Kiev and shall forever be known as such, as far as I'm concerned. But there's a 40 mile long convoy. Going up there, they're apparently having, at least as of last night, they were having supply chain issues. This is uh, kind of funny and a testament to the Ukrainian people that apparently Putin, I don't know, there's reports that he thought he would be welcomed as a liberator, which would be wildly stupid, but they thought it would be much easier than it was. And so they didn't really set up the supply chain needed to provide fuel uh, weapons, ammunition, all of that thing, all the way in. They, I guess, they kind of thought that they would be just uh, welcomed in like a, like a World Series parade or something. It's not working out that way. But this, this convoy was making its way towards Kiev, and it allegedly ran out of gas. Like I say, I've heard between thirty and forty miles long for this thing. It's just sitting there, full of troops waiting for whatever or moving at a snail's pace when it does move because you know getting that much gas and everything that much supplies is kind of tough for a, a a giant conga line 40 miles long is a long 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 way um it's the difference between basically baltimore and washington dc almost but i don't understand these are invaders to ukraine they're stuck or slow moving down a sort of bottleneck path 
Yeah, they bombed some bridges the Ukrainians did to make the uh, the path much slower. But maybe this is heartless to say. But while you've got this conga line of troops, materials and everything, just kind of sitting there, shouldn't you bomb the hell out of them? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you I don't like to advocate for it, but if it's war... The objective is to kill as many of the other team as humanly possible while they're stuck. You know, I get it. Ukraine doesn't have the greatest air force in the world, but they have an air force. You might want to try and bomb them while they're there. You send in guerrilla forces with some of your rockets and whatnot and bomb the hell out of them. You don't have to kill all of them. Nobody, you know, nobody's saying kill 40 miles worth of Russians. I think that the Russian military is just as shocked about what's going on as anybody. It's amazing the power of propaganda and the, the amount of control anybody can exert over somebody simply by controlling the information they get to. We always knew it, but we don't always see real-world examples of it. But if you start taking, you take out a couple of miles of troop carriers, of uh, supply trucks, that makes the rest of the line move a little slowly because the road is not a you know four or five line superhighway; it's a two lane road. You litter it with the carcasses of trucks, you're in tanks. You're going to make it much more difficult to pass. I don't understand. Why they're not doing? It. I understand that you know the uh, resources are limited in Ukraine. Sure, I get that, but this is war. You have to prioritize certain things, and this should be a priority. Meanwhile, Russia is uh, Russian leadership is being Russian leadership. Vladimir Putin allegedly has sent his family off to a. Uh, Nuclear bomb shelter in Siberia, according to the UK Daily Mail. I don't know how truthful that is. I'm not sure Vladimir Putin cares about his family very much. Dmitry Medvedev, who is their foreign minister, who used to be their president, even though it was honestly, it was still Putin. He was just a puppet. He tweeted out a couple hours ago, quote, Today, some French minister has said they declared an economic war on Russia. Watch your tongue, gentlemen, and don't forget that in human history, economic wars quite often turned into real ones. They're saber-rattling, even toward France, even Medvedev. Now, Medvedev serves at the pleasure of and exists and breathes to this day at the pleasure of Vladimir Putin. If Putin doesn't want him, he'll be killed. If he doesn't please Putin, he'll be killed. That being said... He's making threats of war against another country. This one, a NATO country, which would not be good. So I would posit this. What, imagine the glory awaiting anybody in Russia who, oh, let's not advocate for the death of anybody, but if it happens, oopsie. But imagine the glory and the power that awaits anybody who should uh, arrest Putin and Medvedev, that should overthrow this dictatorial regime. I don't know how loyal 
the people around Vladimir Putin are, aside from the fact that they like getting money from him, and they get a lot of money, and we're not really disrupting his money because his money comes from oil and gas. But if somebody were to accidentally or on purpose <clears throat> take out these people, restore sanity, restore order to the world, get the hell out of Ukraine, think of the um, admiration that the world would have. Now, the world generally doesn't like coup d'etats. Most world leaders don't um, because they don't want to be rem they don't want anybody to realize that if they really wanted to, they could be overthrown. If somebody really wanted to, they could be overthrown. Now, it, it takes special circumstances. It takes access. It takes power. It takes uh, money. It takes a lot. But, you know, not just some random dude can't go in and say, I'm now in charge. But the concept always makes people nervous when they're in power that they could be overthrown. That being said, I think that the uh, dismissal of the Putin regime, along with Medvedev, would be welcomed by the world. And it goes back to what I was mentioning yesterday, and perhaps inartfully, I didn't, I don't know if I made the point fully or not. But the idea that the people around Hitler, they saw how crazy he was. A lot of them believed it, you know, a lot of the inner circle were true believers, but there's no way that all of them were. They got sucked into it and they said, well, all right, let's see what's going on here. It's a job, it's whatever. And then suddenly it's like, holy cow, what, what is this all about? And he's starting wars all over the place. And now the tide is turning and he's turning on everybody. He's killing his friend. What the hell? You're not going to be able to place Adolf Hitler under arrest and you you get the assassination attempts by people who had access to Hitler, not the people who, um, you know, the random people on the street taking shots at him. That happened too. But the people in the inner circle, the people who could have, you would think theoretically, have taken him out. The problem was that they all wanted to be the next person in charge. They wanted to survive more than they wanted to achieve their goal. So you end up with a failed bombing where they put the bomb on the wrong side of a gigantic table leg that took most of the blast and protected Hitler, rather than just whipping out your Luger and ventilating his skull. Seems like if you're really interested in doing that, taking out Hitler, if that's the objective, then you take out Hitler. But if the objective is installing yourself in place of Hitler then you try to plant the bomb and run away. That's a problem. I don't know if that's a problem in this situation, but it sure would be nice if somebody <clears throat> arrested Vladimir Putin and Dmitry Medvedev and whomever else is in the way. It can't be that many I would like to think. I guess it can be. I'd like to think there can't be that many people in, in Russian leadership who go... Yeah, you know what? I really like being at high nuclear alert. I think we should consider maybe using some tactical nuclear weapons if Ukraine doesn't capitulate. There's no rational human being who can look at Ukraine and think they were a threat to Russia. They were saber rattling toward Russia. They were hurting the Russian. Russian there's a lot of Russian ethnic Russian people, whatever Russian speakers who live in Ukraine. They're free to leave. 
And the places where they live in the highest concentration were already controlled by separatists, by Russians. Um, So it wasn't as though Ukraine was bombing those areas. They weren't doing much of anything. Ukraine was just trying to exist. You can call, say, Ukraine was weak isn't the word. Feckless is a better word. They just kind of existed. They they didn't want to tick off Russia, so they let these separatists run their own show. But Russia wanted to make it official. They wanted to put a ring on it. And that was a problem for Ukraine. That's all. That's where it comes from. That's how this garbage started. That and Ukraine's insistence, desire, pressing to become a member of NATO, which we covered yesterday that, frankly, Ukraine brings nothing to the table, nothing but trouble to the table in NATO membership. They want to join the European Union, too. I'm sorry, root out corruption in your own country, and then you can talk about that. I'm, I have no say over or sway over who can become a member of the European Union, but I would like to think that they would have some kind of standards where massive government corruption and bribery, a la what they've been paying Hunter Biden and so on and so forth, is uh, sort of a prerequisite for not getting membership. That you've got to do more, um, better things, different things, if you want to become a member of the European Union. That's an economic alliance. I think they're hoping, more of an economic alliance, I think they're hoping that it would translate to Uh, military. But Ukraine, after this is over, should Ukraine survive and should Ukraine be independent, which I hope it's over soon and I hope does happen, Ukraine really needs to do the smart thing, root out corruption and make probably, uh, well, easily the best economic environment in all of Europe and Asia for businesses. Think about it. Right now, the European Union, their tax rate in Europe is like 20 some percent. It's it's all it's not good for businesses. That's why so many businesses are located in Ireland, because I believe the corporate tax rate there is 12 percent. The rest of the European Union is very mad at Ireland because all these companies are locating there because the 12 percent tax rate. France is like 25 percent. They're really ticked off at Facebook and Google and everybody are, are headquartered in Dublin. Well, they need all these headquarters. They need they need offices. They need everything all around the world. If Medvedev or not Medvedev, oops, if uh, the Ukrainian said, hey, five percent or no percent, whatever, just tax employees so that, you know, they would get a lot of employees. You watch. They might even leave Dublin for Kiev after the war subsides and enough time has passed where people are thinking that maybe uh, Russia won't come back, and especially if Putin is removed from power. The only way Putin is going to be removed by people are sitting there going, oh, he's losing the support of the Russian people. It doesn't matter. It's whether or not he has the support of the oligarchs and the military. And he has that money to maintain that support. And he doesn't cross a line too much. We don't know. I'm hoping, I think we're all hope. I know we're all hoping that that line, that mythical line that, you know, if you're somebody's puppet or if you're somebody's, you know, if you're a, a member of Putin's inner circle and you live a life of luxury because of that access to him, you, I suspect, would probably say, all right, you're going to go launch, nu- you're going to start a nuclear war. That's too much. I'd like to think that line is there. 
I'd like to think that line would be at saber-rattling that you might go and start one of these things. Um, that still hasn't been the case. That hasn't been the case just yet. But I would like to get there. You get him out of office. Again, you'd be the hero of Russia. You'd be the hero of Russia. And then you maybe try and get your economic house in order. And the same thing that applies to Ukraine about um, attracting corporate investment can be yours too. Except you kind of, you're going to have a tougher road to hoe because everybody's going to be afraid that whatever investment they make in Russia will just be seized by your government or a future leader over there. Uh, because that's what you do. You got to really kind of purge the communism from your culture. But it's a mess over there. It's an absolute mess over there. You knew it wouldn't be long before when there's something going on and Joe Biden's senility is being a factor. You think Hillary, Hillary's coming back. Hillary is coming back. And that's why Hillary's coming back, because Joe Biden is less popular than... Well, even Hillary Clinton, which is no small feat, no small feat at all. When you've got the entire left wing media industrial complex propping up Joe Biden as best they can, trying to make him into a real human being, real human being, making him into a real boy. Oh, if he'd only a real boy. And uh, so Hillary smells a little bit of blood in the water. You got Kamala Harris out there. Nobody likes Kamala. My God, she's just insufferable. Actually, I want to play this clip real quick of Kamala Harris from uh, an event. We'll have more from this in a little bit. But the, uh, oh God, she's so grating, just grating. She's the only person who finds her funny. She's the only person who finds herself funny. And so she chuckles and giggles at her jokes. But yeah, she uh, they had a, a Black History Month event at the White House on the last day of Black History Month. Of course they did. Joe said some racist things. There are some pandering racist things. And I'll tell you about those in a bit. But I just want you to hear Kamala's attempt at a joke. Because she's not funny. And she's just awful and great. I had to listen to this. You have to suffer through it, too. Because as we all know, elections matter. And when folks vote, they order what they want. And in this case, they got what they asked for. I went off script a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I went off script a little bit. So you're, you're admitting that you're handled. You, too, just like Joe, are completely handled by the staff of the White House. They tell you what to say. Don't don't go off the script. And you did it. And you're like, oh, and maybe if I acknowledge publicly that I went off script, they won't punish me so hard behind the scenes. God, she's just so grating. Even against, you know, Hillary actually looks better compared to, I mean, not physically, but she she looks, sounds, comes off as better. So Hillary's dusting off the possibility of running in 2024 if senile Joe doesn't run and Kamala is the heir apparent because, good God, she's less popular than Joe. To that end, she appeared on Rachel Maddow's show. Rachel Maddow now only apparently works when she wants to work. And she felt like, I assume she felt like working yesterday because Hillary was coming on the show. What's funny is, Rachel Maddow is making like $30 million a year. She doesn't want to work. She doesn't want to work. 
She does not do hard work. I was listening to Howard Stern the other day uh, interview, what's his face, Ben Stiller. It's really pathetic. Ben Stiller is making a movie about Rachel Maddow's book on Spiro Agnew. And you're sitting there going, what the hell would anybody? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why, but they are. And they were both stern and, and, and Stiller were like, oh, my God, she's so brilliant. She puts together this monologue and she does this, that, and the other thing. And she does it. she's got a team. I would suspect she's got 50 people who work on her show. She doesn't do much of anything except approve it and perform it. But, oh, God, she's so smart. No, no, she's not super smart. You're just dumb relative to you. She's smart, okay? Relative to a normal person, she's not particularly smart, and she lies all the time. I'm six foot five. You put me next to Peter Dinklage, I'm a freaking giant. You put me out in the middle of an NBA team, and I'm the Peter Dinklage. It's all relative. So to sit there and say, well, she's so smart, shows how dumb you actually are. Shows how ignorant you are. But she decided to come down from the mountaintop. And what's really pathetic is I know some of these, I don't know Rachel Maddow, but after COVID, these people all had studios built in their houses, right? They all had studios built in their houses. Some of them go to their studios. Some of them had real studios with guests and things that they're built near their houses or on their property or whatever. None of them actually have to go in anywhere. So for Rachel Maddow, when she was going in, she wanted to go in. Otherwise, she'd just do it from her own home. Her going to work, quote unquote, is probably marching downstairs or going into another room. And there she is. She's on the job. She can't do that even that much. It's too stressful. She needs a break. She needs a vacation from making $30 million a year and uh, lying for an hour. Pathetic. She's supposed to be some kind of super genius. Shouldn't, shouldn't this be really easy? I mean, I do three hours of radio pretty easily with a couple of tabs open on my computer. Anyway, Hillary was on there, and I want you to hear what Hillary had to say. And remember, Hillary Clinton is the person who brought you the failed state that is Libya. There is the return of slavery, open-air slave markets in Tripoli, in Libya. To this day, there is no real government. It is a, a terrorist haven. Thankfully, they're mostly fighting each other to try and take over control of Libya. And I say let them do that for an extended period of time. But realistically, Libya is one of those major smoldering threats that we have to keep an eye on that I don't think enough people, certainly not this administration or the Biden administration or the Obama administration paid enough attention to because uh, the, Biden, the Obama and Biden administration created it with Hillary and it's, you know, Democrats own it. So they ignore the slavery. They ignore all of this, that and the other thing. Anyway, what is Hillary's take? It's, well, it's dumb. Let's just put it that way. But remember, uh, the Russians invaded Afghanistan uh, back uh, in 1980. And uh, although no country uh, went in, uh, they certainly had a lot of countries uh, supplying uh, arms and advice and even some advisors 
uh, to those who were recruited to fight Russia. It didn't end well for the Russians. Uh, there were other uh, unintended consequences, as we know. But the fact is that a very motivated and then uh, funded and armed uh, insurgency uh, basically drove the Russians out of Afghanistan. Um, obviously, the similarities are, are not uh, ones that you should uh, bank on because uh, the terrain, the development uh, in urban areas, et cetera, is so different. But I think that is the model that people are now uh, looking toward. That is the, aside from all the differences, <laughs> this is the model that they're looking for. This is the former Secretary of State. This is the former standard bearer of the Democratic Party. Her plan with Ukraine is, did you hear it? Afghanistan. Now, for those of you who don't remember, weren't alive, Afghanistan lasted nine and a half, ten years. Right? The, the Russian occupation of Afghanistan went on for a decade. They eventually pulled out. They eventually said, oh, all right, fine, we'll get out of there. We can't, can't tame this land. Forget it. Let's get out of here. But it took 10 years. That's your plan? That's your, that's your big plan? Well, let's look at the uh, Afghanistan model where, where what? You just sat there and killed people and got killed for a decade? If that's the best you got, Hillary, you should not have crawled out from your crypt. You should have let everybody else alone. Let the adults handle this, or as close to as adults as you can. At least the Biden administration isn't saying, you know what? After a decade or two of atrophy, I really think Putin will begin to regret his move into Afghanistan. No, you don't do that. What in the hell? Who? This was a secretary of state. Now you can see why... Libya was such a disaster. Why Benghazi went the way it did. Whatever she think. Well, Benghazi's under attack, but if we wait, you know, 10 years, maybe, just maybe, we'll get our house in order. And then those terrorists will learn. Or something. God help us. We do have other news out there besides Ukraine, and I suspect we're going to see, we'll get, There's. I think there's a little bit more uh, Ukraine oil related that we'll get back to in a bit. But there are other things going on, including the State of the Union. State of the Union, of course, is now being declared a mask-free zone. Or, well, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to wear masks anymore. Weirdly, curiously, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention changed their recommendations for indoor gatherings um, on masks. Why? How? Well, it's just the miracle of science, of course. Nothing has changed. Literally nothing has changed. There's no new science, nothing. But uh, the visuals of the President of the United States sitting in front of people with masks, is just not going to be good. So they waived it. They changed it. Um, by the way, just to give you an update, the COVID numbers from a year, I told you yesterday that they fluctuate wildly and it has to do with how things are reported. Last year, February 28th, 2021, there were 50,905 new cases of COVID. This year, 
same day, 114,071 new cases of COVID. That, if you're playing the home game, is more than a 100% increase. Now, could that be because of uh, the new way of reporting? Probably. See what I mean when I say that uh, we're getting worthless data, at least on its surface? Deaths, a year ago, 1,129 COVID deaths this year. 1,972 COVID deaths. Yesterday, there was like, there was 300 something. So you see how it jumps all over the place, jumps all over the place. We don't know anything (laughs) about this, except that really nothing has changed, except that Joe Biden is president and he's got to go give a State of the Union address. He wants to go give a State of the Union address. And the optics of having it, it be delivered in masks or with masks around him or socially distanced or anything like that would be too bad because Joe Biden is the guy who promised to shut down the virus and not the people and blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows the mantra. He lied. He lied. He had no plan. He's going to have to pretend that he had a plan and that his plan is working. And he can do that when you sort of cook the books and say, don't report every day, report every other day and keep the numbers all confusing. And then you can just say things are getting better, whether they are or not. That way you just still don't have to acknowledge that maybe the whole thing was a massive overreaction and we should have taken measures to protect the vulnerable and uh, mind data to, as best as humanly possible, identify the vulnerable so that the rest of the world could go about their business as usual. But no, that's not the way it works anymore. Ginger Goebbels, by the way, was asked about this. I want to play you this clip because... um, she said, no, no, no. The mask recommendations changing, you know, on the day of the State of the Union address or day before the State of the Union, total, total coincidence. had nothing to, no way would we ever pollute science like this. Yeah, right. Was it important to the president that masks come off during, before the State of the Union? Is there a message that he hopes to send uh, with, you know, with that news? Well, I would say the president is very powerful, but he couldn't make us be in the green zone that we're in right now in D.C. That's why we are not uh, required. We're not going to be required to wear masks starting tomorrow. So uh, I would say that for him, it had nothing to do with the timing around the State of the Union. Uh, He wanted to give the CDC the time to assess and make recommendations that would be clear to the American public about uh, what their recommendations would be for mask wearing moving forward. You know, he wasn't even in town that month when they said anything about masks. It was he was up in Delaware with one of his prostitute friends. I mean, uh, lobbyists. I mean, uh, you know, family. Actually, that that could still be family. Uh, God help us. No, no, no. He had nothing. It's so obvious. It's such a fraud. This whole thing is a fraud. This is about politics. This is about November. You have two choices, really. Either Democrats were lying then or they're lying now. Those are the only two choices. What do I mean? Well, either masks work or they don't work. Either the masks coming off are a good thing and a sign of uh, things getting better, or it's Democrats going, well, we can kill some people, but I think we'll get more votes. Then I think we'll get more votes than we kill. We need to distract people from our failed leadership, and so we're just going to go with this. 
That's it. It's changed so dramatically, so quickly with nothing, nothing else changing. The underlying data hasn't changed. The uh, facts, the science has not come out with anything. We knew cloth masks were garbage for a very long time. We did. And they're still garbage. And now they're kind of acknowledging that they're garbage. But are the other masks any different, any better? You would think that medical professionals would uh, wear and have access to the best masks possible. And they still were getting sick. They were still getting COVID. Do masks make a difference? Who knows? We don't know. It's based on politics. Always has been. So either the Democrats have been lying for the last two years and they're not lying anymore, or they were telling the truth for the last two years and now they're lying because their political fortunes have changed. It'd be interesting to ask the president that. He, of course, won't get anywhere near a reporter to ask that, but uh, even Ginger Goebbels would be good enough to ask that. Because it can't be both. Nothing else has changed. There is no breakthrough study. There's no, aha, holy cow, masks were wrong all along. They won't admit that. They won't admit that vaccines are really just temporary immunity boosters. They say, get the shot, get the shot, still get the shot. It's the best way to make sure that you don't get or transmit COVID, which is a lie. It's false. You can still get and you can still transmit COVID. And now we come down to the kids. New York Times is having this epiphany. It's amazing how all of these people see the light at the same time when it's the most opportune moment and will, you know, in the hopes of doing the best for Democrats. But of course, they're just doing it because it's just, I don't know. I don't know why. (laughs) The uh, editorial board today, how to lead New York into the next phase of COVID-19. Blah, blah. I'll just read you a little bit of it. New York City, one of the nation's first epicenters of the coronavirus pandemic, is on the cusp of stepping into the next hopeful chapter of this crisis. And Mayor Eric Adams is leading the way. On Sunday, Mr. Adams announced that he would eliminate school mask mandates and vaccine requirements for restaurants, gyms, and movie theaters by next Monday, as long as the case numbers remain low. What Eric Adams is announcing is that he is moving New York City toward the policy of Florida that Florida has had the entire time. The policy that Florida has had the entire time uh, that the New York Times had condemned him for Florida for having. Just, Just as a reminder. As with so many pandemic policies... These moves are likely to please as many people as they infuriate. But with full vaccination rates in the city at 78%, an irrelevant factor, uh, and the latest surge clearly surpassed, this is the right time to lift the requirements for masks in schools. Why is it the right time to list the, why is it the right time to list the mandate for masks in schools? Think about this. If the vaccination rates factored into numbers going down, which there's no evidence that they did. But if they did, and mask wearing factored into that as well, which, again, there's no evidence that they did, then why would ending it before the number is zero be the right thing to do? 
I'm not advocating for more mask mandates or longer mask mandates, but think about it. If these people are telling the truth or if they believe they're telling the truth, mask mandates have worked. The numbers are way down. Great. Then keep the mask mandates and you'll get the number to zero. Logically, right? Or even lower. But that's not the case. There were two times as many new COVID cases in the United States of America this year than last year on this day. Wouldn't, I I don't know what the numbers are in New York, what they were a year ago, but I can't imagine that they're any different than the national average. What has changed? Well, Democrats polling is uh, not going so well, and that has changed. That's new. But this next thing kills me about the kids. Because again, it is what Republicans, conservatives have been saying the entire time. Just now, Democrats are saying it because they're looking at November and they don't care. Either they've been lying all along for reasons that uh, they'll have to explain to God and voters, or they're lying now. If they believe the things that they've been saying for the past two years, they're lying now. And the only explanation as to why they're lying now is because of the election. Now, what is this next line? I'll read you the last line again to give it more context. But with full vaccination rates in the city at 78% and the latest surge clearly passed, this is the right time to list the requirements for masks in schools. It's a lot to ask young children to wear masks for several hours a day, especially when so many adults seem to struggle with it. I'm going to read that last sentence again now just on its own, because this is a liberal publication that has been advocating for the mummification of children for two years. And insisting schools can't be open. We should be super careful with schools. And now they've changed their tune because their guy, their party, is not doing well in the polls. So the editorial board, the official position of the people who run the paper, the New York Times, writes, quote, It is a lot to ask young children to wear masks for several hours a day, especially when so many adults seem to struggle with it. Now, at this moment, I will remind you again that nothing related to the science has changed. There has been no breakthrough study. There has been no look at the data. There's nothing. Nothing is different from yesterday, from six months ago to a year and a half ago. Nothing has changed about masks. Nothing has changed about children and the susceptibility of children to COVID-19. Nothing has changed whatsoever except for the potential fortunes forecast for Democrats in November's election. There's, this is evil. <laughs> There's no other word for it. It's the perfect word for it. This is evil. Not that they're changing now. What they're doing now, what they're advocating for now, is where the data has always been. That's what evil, what's evil is that they're doing it now for political reasons. What's evil is that they've done it for two years. 
Mask the children, mask the kids, mask the kids. Oh, wait, no, no, no. It's hard for kids. We shouldn't have the kids masking. We don't have anything to do this, that, and the other thing, blah, blah, blah. Let's get rid of these mask mandates for those kids. They have a more uh, mortality rate of a rounding error, less than 1%, less than one-tenth of a percent. But, hey, let's just stick with it. Oh, now it's looking bad. Let's go. Just looking at the numbers here in Maryland, this is not to belittle any of these deaths. Horrible. Every single one of them of any age, but particularly of children. In Maryland, according to the uh, Maryland state government, as of today, between the ages of 0 and 9, there have been 93,087 cases of COVID-19 and five deaths. Five deaths. One has an asterisk next to it. One, there's a one with an asterisk. You look at what the asterisk says. Asterisk equals probable death. Death certificate lists COVID-19 as the cause of death, but not yet confirmed by a laboratory test. So four confirmed that somebody had COVID and died, a, a young child. One where they haven't actually bothered to run the test for some weird reason. No indication of any comorbidities, but I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts that there are comorbidities in each one of those five tragedies. Between the ages of 10 and 19, there have been 125,949 cases of COVID and 15 deaths. Horrible, each and every one of them. But again, there's no breakdown of how many had pre-existing conditions, comorbidities, or what have you. One of those deaths of the 15 is has an asterisk, meaning that uh, they haven't tested for COVID yet. But out of 125,015, what is that rate? It's pretty low. Between the ages of 20 and 29, there have been 173,371 cases of COVID, a perfect palindrome. With 69 deaths, one having the asterisks with them. 69 out of 173,371. These are significantly insignificant percentages. And now, two years into it, the New York Times says, it's a lot to ask young children to wear masks for several hours a day, especially when so many adults seem to struggle with it. Forgive me as I tell these people to go straight to hell, won't you? I, I find it absolutely amazing. The New York Times is like, hey, man, kids shouldn't be wearing masks. It's a lot to ask from kids. Oh, you, you think? <laughs> you think it's a lot a lot to ask from kids? Now you're finally coming around to that? You sit there and you go, what's going on? Well, you look at the latest ABC News poll. ABC, not uh, some right-wing outlet. ABC News, Joe Biden's job approval, 37%. Approve, 55% disapprove. Remember back when... Whatever poll it was, I forget what it was, but it said, oh, 34% for Joe. And the left said, that's an outlier poll. That's not what it is. It couldn't possibly. And you think, well, you'd almost think it really couldn't possibly be. Because that's incredibly unpopular. That's wildly unpopular. That's like coming out and telling everybody they're fat and ugly unpopular. Yet 
That's Democrats. That's Biden. For the generic ballot for the uh, midterms, this doesn't mean much of anything because it really does boil down to uh, individual candidates, but it gives you a snapshot, a sense of the public. 42% favor Democrats, 49% favor Republicans. You got to wonder who in the hell are these people who favor Democrats. But uh, okay, fine, you favor Democrats. That's a five-point lead for Republicans. Back in the 2018 cycle, it was 51% favored Democrats, 39% favored Republicans. And actually, most of the time, that the biggest gaps are always when, with Democrats. 2006, it was 54% supported Democrats, 38% liked Republicans. Now, when Republicans had the lead, like in 2010 with Obamacare, it was only 48% favored Republicans, 45% favored Democrats. So you see this massive, massive shift in things. These polls, as indicated, look at this. 1994, Republicans took the House of Representatives for the first time in 40 years. First time in 40 years. They took both chambers of Congress, 1994. According to the ABC News poll at the time, this is their tracking poll, Republicans were losing in favorability in generic balloting. 50% favored Democrats, 40% favored Republicans. And it was the biggest landslide perhaps ever. Perhaps ever. So when they tell you it's 49 Republican, 42 Democrats right now, you could probably add five to seven points more to it. Five to seven points more to it. That's pretty significant. That's massive. That's huge. If it pans out. Now, this is eight months before the election. Don't ever forget, Republicans can find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. No political party is really better at that than anybody else. But you just go through these numbers, and it is not good for Democrats in any way, shape, or form. When it comes to the economy, 54% say they favor Republicans to handle the economy compared to 35% for Democrats. That is massive. Not just massive because, well, I'll tell you why in a second. In education and schools, they're statistically tied. Plus or minus 3%. It's Democrats 44%, Republicans 41%. I would say that that number is way skewed by the polling. If you just look at the elections that have happened out in San Francisco, the school board, you look at the gubernatorial election out in Virginia, the education issue does not work super great for Democrats. On the pandemic, 43% favor Democrats, 37% favor Republicans. Again, I would caution you, Joe Biden's unpopularity is due in significant part, not exclusively, but in significant portion because of his failures on COVID. Massive failures on COVID. His self-inflicted wounds on COVID, really. He overpromised and underdelivered. He overpromised in something he could never deliver. And people, for some weird reason, thought he was telling the truth. I don't know why. I don't know why. But for some weird reason, they thought he was telling the truth. But why is the economy the most important one with that 19-point spread in favor of Republicans? Because that's the one that people vote on most. Most If you are worried about paying your bills, 
the economy is the number one issue. You can be art. I'll just give you an example. You can be ardently pro-life. This is what Republicans don't seem to understand. You can be ardently pro-life, but if that's not the issue you vote on, if that's not your deal breaker, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. If you're ardently pro-life, but uh, you think that uh, the economy is garbage, or well, just put it the other way: if you can be, you can be rabidly pro-choice in your personal life, but if that doesn't if that isn't the issue that you vote on, or even if it is, but right now you're out of work and you've been out of work for six months or you're seeing it's now $30 more expensive to fill up your gas tank and your electric bill, your gas bill, your heating is gone through the roof and the president of the United States is going, hey, it's just going to be that way for a while because whatever, I'm not going to open up any drilling on here. You could say, oh, I'm not going to vote for a Democrat then because that's the Democrat philosophy. Shut up and take your medicine, take your lumps, just shut up. A lot of people are going to go, I'm not going to vote for that. Even if they are pro-abortion, they just go, well, it's one issue. Some people recognize, if either they go, this isn't the most important issue right now to me, so I'm going to move it down the, the line, or they'll recognize that the federal government isn't going to do a damn thing about abortion anyway, so it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. You can vote on other things. You have to be really completely dedicated one way or the other on that issue or any issue to let that be the only thing you ever vote on, period, end of story, no matter what else is going on. Last night there was a a push in the United States Senate to uh, advance a bill, something on abortion, to make abortion constitutional or something. I don't know what it was. It didn't, it didn't get anywhere. Democrats didn't even come close to getting cloture. They, Chuck Schumer forced a vote but they lost the vote. They they needed 60 votes. They only got 46 votes in favor of cloture. There were 48 votes opposed to it. Joe Manchin, the left, is mad at him again. He voted against it. He voted with Republicans last night on this meaningless thing. But... um, they're all mad about it now. They're going, oh, my God, this they're trying to codify abortion into law. It's kind of funny. And it really is a testament to just how misinformed so many members of our media are, so many members of the so-called elite class, the people who are supposed to inform people of what's going on. They are wildly, wildly, wildly misinformed, ignorant to the point of embarrassment. A normal adult should be embarrassed by these sorts of things, but they're not. The recount tweeted it out. 46-48, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on Roe v. Wade codification fails. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat, West Virginia, only dem to vote no. As Suhail Kapoor noted, and Suhail Kapoor is the White House correspondent or senior national political reporter for NBC News. As Suhail Kapoor noted, quote, it leaves Congress with no viable path to keeping abortion legal nationally if SCOTUS guts row. It's kind of embarrassing for Suhail. It's kind of embarrassing for NBC News that their chief or senior national political reporter has no idea how federalism works, has no idea how the Constitution works. That, oh my God, if we don't get this into law and the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, then abortion will not be legal everywhere. Well, yeah, there's all sorts of things that can change 
that could change, that should change. It's called federalism. If Mississippi wants to outlaw abortion, Mississippi is allowed to outlaw abortion. If California wants to institute a plan to pay for everybody in Mississippi who wants an abortion to fly them out to California at a deeply discounted rate or even free to provide them with an abortion, California can do that too. That's just how it works. Certain things are legal in some states. Marijuana is legal in Colorado. Medical marijuana is legal in Maryland. Marijuana is illegal in other states. That's just how it works. You really have to have no faith in your argument to demand that the federal government enforce your will everywhere. Don't you? I think you kind of do. But uh, like I said, the economy, back to the economy, the economy being the number one issue with so many people, being the most important issue, tells you everything you need to know about this election right now. Provided things don't change dramatically. Joe Biden is president of the United States. He wields an enormous amount of power. And if he decides to go, you know what? I'm going crazy. I'm going to open up drilling. I'm going to approve all these pipelines. We're going to go. We're going to become energy independent. If he does what he should do, then the fate of Democrats in November could change. There's plenty of time between then and now. Plenty of time between then and now. It's just that he is so pot committed that I don't know that he's capable of this change or his handlers are capable of it. Joe Biden doesn't actually believe in anything except that he wants to be president. He wants the trappings of being president period. What's funny about this polling data, there's new polling data out of CBS News as well, is the White House is trying to tout it, some of it. (laughs) Like I always say, and I hate to pat myself on the back, but if you choose the unit of measure, you will always come out on top. Ed O'Keefe, who is the uh, senior White House uh, and political reporter correspondent for CBS News, Tweets out, the new poll finds U.S. sanctions in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, including sanctions and uh, protecting NATO allies nearby, enjoy wide bipartisan support by Americans. And it says, you know, place economic sanctions on Russia. The question is, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, colon, the U.S. should place economic sanctions on Russia, 76%, place economic sanctions on Putin, 75%. How the hell do you get a drop off on that? Uh, send weapons and supplies to Ukraine, 65%. Send troops to protect NATO allies, 63%. We already had troops to protect NATO allies. We have a contractual obligation to protect NATO allies, so on and so forth. But the uh, White House Deputy Press Secretary, a guy named Andrew Bates, He tweeted out this tweet from Ed O'Keefe and says, the latest data showing POTUS has unified the country with his response to Russia's heinous attack on Ukraine and democratic values. You're sitting there going, what? Uh, These, first of all, the sanctions on Russia and Putin are negligible. They're not impacting oil and gas sales. They're not impacting oil. The biggest thing, one third or more, 40 percent of the Russian economy is oil and gas sales, and they're not doing anything about it. So, yeah, okay, whatever. Where are those weapons going to Ukraine? Weapons and supplies. Where are the offensive weapons? Oh, they're giving them defensive weapons. Well, right now there's a 40 mile long 
a convoy trucking its way toward Kiev. You could maybe give them the means to blow the hell out of that. Just just a thought. Just a thought. And moving troops to NATO countries is pointless. But what is ignored by masturbates and the rest of the White House is the internal numbers, the other numbers of Joe Biden's approval ratings, right? <clears throat> so let's look at it, shall we? Democrats approve of Joe Biden's handling of Ukraine just on this issue. Russia and Ukraine, 71% to 29%. Okay, Democrats, right, fine. Independents disapprove, 35 to 65. Wait a second, what? How is that? White House is just claiming that they had a massive victory on their hands. That every, the United United States, United United States, I didn't repeat myself, I didn't stutter. The United United States came together because of Joe Biden. They're rallying around the flag. Weird. And Republicans, 17% disapprove, 83% disapprove. Now, if you add those all together, they don't give the average on Ukraine. Oh, yeah, they do. 41% of Americans approve of the Biden administration's handling of the Ukrainian situation. So how is that possible? How is it that the White House can say, the latest data shows POTUS has unified the country with his response to Russia, when in fact no such thing has occurred, except for the party the country is unified against, against Joe Biden. Because the country recognizes that there were a lot of passes at which this entire situation could have been headed off at, right? Let's just be honest about this. If we had been tougher on Russia from the get-go, this might not have happened. If we had just been honest with Ukraine and said, look, you're not getting into NATO, I'm sorry. We'll give you weapons. We'll sell you weapons. We'll do whatever. We'll build up your military so you can defend yourself, but you bring nothing to the table at NATO. So you're not getting in. They were never getting in. Everybody knew they were never getting in. They could have avoided this possibly. There were lots of things. If they had done actual real sanctions on where it would hurt Putin, because didn't you notice after this thing happened, I've said this before, but it bears repeating, as soon as uh, the invasion happened, what? The Russian the government said, we're putting these new sanctions, these devastating sanctions into place. Russia's, you've been telling us forever, they're a horrible country, they're the worst, they're the problem, they're the this, they're the that, they're the other thing. Well, then why in the hell weren't these sanctions that were going to punish these evildoers already in place? Why, why are you holding things back? It's like waiting till the ninth inning when you go, and finally, all right, now I'll try to get a hit. Now I'll try to hit a home run. I was just trying, I don't know, I was trying not to get hit by the ball for the first eight innings. But now I'll swing for the fences. No, you bring your A game all the time. You try and hit the ball where you need it to go and as hard as you can every single swing of the bat, not just when it's politically expedient for you, not when it's convenient for you. The American people notice these things. They heard all the talk in this country for months and months and months, and then suddenly Putin does something, and our government goes, we're going to, Biden goes, we're going to slap you down with these things. And people go, Wait, well, why didn't you do it before? You told us Russia stole the 2016 election. 
They tried to meddle in the 2020 election. No proof of either. But uh, if they're so horrible and threatening to the world and supporting terrorists in Syria and so on and so forth, then why haven't we imposed horrible, punishing, draconian sanctions on them by now? And then why haven't we hit them where the only place it would really hurt, which is in the oil and gas? You start asking those questions, and then you begin to see why only 41% approve of Joe Biden's handling of Ukraine, because Joe Biden isn't handling Ukraine. Joe Biden is trying to campaign for Democrats in the fall by using the powers of the president and the world stage to do it, making things worse and muddled in the meantime. I want to shift gears a little bit in the time we have left. I wanted you to hear this audio of Joe Biden before he gives the State of the Union address, uh, where he's talking about his U.N. ambassador, a woman named Linda Thomas-Greenfield. He calls her every combination of those things, including others that don't exist in those three things, and uh, doesn't get it right. Just, you know, they haven't found the correct cocktail yet to make him coherent. Listen to it for yourself. This is the, this is our president. To hear her, to listen to her, run the uh, debates on at the Security Council as well as the General Assembly at the United Nations. Uh, Linda Greenhouse, or Thomas Greenfield. Uh, and, uh, Linda. <laughs> Linda Greenhouse, Thomas, Thomas Green. There, there is no Linda. Well, there might be a Linda Greenhouse. There might be there might be somebody named Linda who has a greenhouse. So, and then uh, Thomas Greenfield is a dude, right? I'm going to play that again, just so you, it's hard to keep track of all of it. Tommy, you know, you know, good old Tommy Greenfield, the chick that I, wait, what, huh? Who? (sighs) President of the United States. Just keep that in your head. President of the United States. To hear her, to listen to her run the uh, debates on at the Security Council as well as the General Assembly at the United Nations, uh, Linda Greenhouse, or Thomas Greenfield. Uh, and, uh, Linda. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. There's nothing to worry about there. He's perfect. COVID doesn't impact brain function, does it? Is there another pandemic going around? Is senility uh, contagious? Is it? No. No, probably not. That's the President of the United States. That's the guy that we're told 81 million people voted for, gleefully voted for. Oh, I can't wait to get more of this. Uh, Really? You wanted to make your whole life a Saturday Night Live skit? That's what you want? That's what you wanted out of life? Your aspiration is... This country, things are going too well. Let's try something new. I'm voting for Biden. God help us. God help us all, these people, anyway. Uh, By the way, you want to talk about the government focusing like a laser on what's the most important thing going on in the world today. Democrats always complain, George W. Bush went golfing. Donald Trump went golfing. Okay, you guys control everything right now. What are you guys doing? And what do you get? You get this. From the Hill newspaper, House passes bill making lynching a federal hate crime. I'm obviously not in favor of lynching, but I'm pretty sure that lynching is 
already a crime. What are you going to get out of it? Like the guys who uh, killed Ahmaud Aubrey. Okay, they're going to jail for the rest of their lives. And on top of that, in a huge waste of money, only as a feel-good measure, they were convicted of, of federal hate crimes violations. Yeah, okay, why? Well, because... They didn't. They already faced no possibility of parole, but now they get to spend. Ex- what is it? They die, and then their rotting corpse has to sit in their cell for a while. How does that work? The Hill reports the House passed legislation on Monday that would classify lynching as a federal hate crime. Lawmakers easily passed the bill, which is named after Emmett Till, a 14-year-old African-American boy who was lynched in 1955, on a 422-3 vote. While the bill sailed through, blah, 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 the legislator's passage comes more than 120 years after the first federal anti-lynching legislation was introduced by then-Rep. George Henry White, who was the only black member of Congress at the time, also a Republican. Quote, our, nations, uh, in, our nation endured a shameful period during which thousands of African Americans were lynched as a means of racial subordination and enforcing white supremacy. And the, uh, these violent instances were largely tolerated by state and federal officials, and they represent a stain on our nation's legacy. Those federal officials were Democrats said House Judiciary Chairman, Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler. Okay, so what does this law have to do with anything? Whose life has changed by this law? Whose life is saved by this law? Is anything different because of this law? The answer, the long answer is no. Nothing has changed. Nothing is different. Are we not in a situation where there's runaway inflation, where there's a war in Europe, where there's all sorts of problems, supply chain issues, things like that? And this is what the House of Representatives chooses to focus on. Because I promise you, I promise you, lynching is already illegal wherever it is. Murder is not a federal crime. Murder is not a federal crime. You go out and you murder somebody, the feds aren't going to swoop in and charge you with murder. Now, they could charge you with violating the civil rights of some. It falls into a double jeopardy category there, which I think is, is pretty bad. But the, the f- murder is not a federal crime. So they don't go at you for it. The state does. Adding more on top of it, if you get the death penalty, just like... If you remember the 2000 election, do you remember the 2000 election when the NAACP ran an ad about uh, was, uh, James Byrd had been murdered in Texas? He was the black man who was dragged by a couple of monsters uh, behind a pickup truck and killed. Horrible, horrible person. And the NAACP ran an ad go- with his daughter saying, I felt like my father was killed all over again when George W. Bush refused to sign hate crimes legislation. It was a despicable ad, and it was a grotesque lie. But again, it was put together by Democrats, so what do you expect? What it didn't tell you was that the guys responsible for the murder of James Byrd had already been convicted in Texas and were already sentenced to death. They were going to die. A hate crime piece of legislation down in Texas would not have changed anything. And in Texas, you don't die of old age on um, 
on death row like you do everywhere else where death row exists. Charles Manson died of old age on death row. Texas, they take care of you. They dispense justice. I believe those guys who murdered James Byrd are long since dead now, with or without a federal hate crimes or a hate crime conviction. This is how the left works, though. It is symbolism. It is straight-up symbolism. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The truth doesn't matter. Reality doesn't matter. What can you spin it to mean? So, yes, in the midst of all this going on, oh, congratulations to the, uh, the House of Representatives. You passed a meaningless piece of legislation that will probably become law, that will become meaningless in general. Because who cares? So ridiculous. It's so offensive. It's so stupid. Murder is murder. Punish those people. You can't tell me that you care about justice if you're the people going, we must get rid of the death penalty, but then we must, and we must clear out our prisons. We have far too many, but on certain sorts of crimes we care about very deeply and uh, voting blocks that we want to keep in our pocket, then we'll suddenly care about those things. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Finally today, a little bit of sanity in academia. I know that doesn't happen very often, but it is worth noting when it does. The University of Wyoming is uh, now thanks to, well, it's on the way to, the United States or the Wyoming State Senate has voted to terminate the University of Wyoming's gender studies program. Yes, Wyoming. And part of their budget bill out there, they have this. It's uh, Section 067 for the University of Wyoming. It says, uh, as a condition of these appropriations, they're appropriating the annual budget for the University of Wyoming. As a condition of these appropriations, the University of Wyoming shall not expand expend any general funds federal funds or other funds under its control for any gender studies courses, academic programs, co-curriculum programs, or extracurricular programs. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. The gender studies department, if they accept any money, now I suppose that the University of Wyoming could go, then fine, we will not take any of your money. It is so damned important to us that we have this gender studies dance or whatever, whatever it is. That they could refuse all the money, in which case the uh, the people of Wyoming win. But uh, since they won't do that, since they can't do that, since they'll never dip into their you know money that they've got their uh, endowment, this would kill gender studies. Now I'm not doing it because I just want to punish those leftists who take gender studies programs. I, don't, I think it's hilarious because of that. Uh, sure. But it, because it is the biggest waste of money and energy and time that anybody could possibly imagine. These studies, these degrees are worthless, except in teaching. You should not, no university should offer a degree that that's only career path is teaching the same crap you just learned. That's it period, end of story. If you want to go and do it, do it on your own. Go buy a couple of uh, gender-specific coloring books and claim to be an expert. It's essentially, you'd just be saving yourself $200,000 anyway. It's the same sort of garbage. 
Always is. That's all the time we have for today, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. Enter to win the signed book contest. Support the show. Tomorrow we'll have a more in-depth analysis of just moi from the State of the Union Address. Thanks to Brian Darling for coming on. Thanks to you for listening. Happy Hump Day. See you tomorrow. <laughs>